to all of your nostalgia-philic listeners. Remember the good times! An idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. The Other and One Pell Podcast starts now. Welcome to the Honor and Ron Paul podcast. This is episode 31. I am very delighted to have Adam Kokesh with me. Uh, he may be familiar with, uh, to some of you uh, as a very big voice within uh, the anti-war movement, especially during the Ron Paul campaign of 07 and 12, or 08 and 12. And that's where I first uh, began to follow Adam. Uh, welcome, Adam. Uh, but this podcast, uh, I'm just trying to bring back the good feelings of the love revolution and uh, you know, chat with people who have been inspired by Ron Paul to change their trajectory in life or uh, create something liberty-based. And uh, it seems to me that you're one of these people that has really gone all in on this liberty um, message and the liberty movement yeah no howard i i appreciate that and i want to say i i really appreciate what you're doing with this show because there is a certain magic around the ron paul campaign that really brought people together and uh, just as you were speaking i thought you were going to say you know inspired by ron paul to realize the truth of libertarianism and the value of freedom. And it was like, no, 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 something deeper for those of us inside baseball freedom activist types being inspired, you know, at a deeper level to do something else. But uh, I think that's really important because in my story, you know, organizing veterans for Ron Paul uh, when, uh, and, and it was 2007 when he announced, I believe, for, two, for, for the 08 campaign. And I, I was definitely getting ready and, and organizing before uh, 08 for sure. And, uh, you know, what, what you said about me being one, one of these people who are all in for freedom. Uh, well, you know, it was, it was after the Ron Paul campaign, I, I looked at freedom and I was like, you know what? I, I don't think this is just a fad. <laughs> I, think, I think people really like freedom. I think this thing's going to be around for a while. You know, let's let's get on the freedom train and, and, and see how long we can ride it. I think we can ride it all the way to a voluntary society. I think that's that's where we're going. And and in all seriousness, what Ron Paul really inspired in me is the long term commitment and consistency. If you've ever hosted a podcast or run for office and had to say the same things over and over and over again, you know, you better find something you love to say over and over and over again. And if you're any good at it, you'll find something that's worth saying for 50 years straight now. Like, is that how long Dr. Paul, I don't know what, what, where you want to trace his, his actual origin to what year, but yeah. uh, you know, he has been saying the same fundamental talking points for decades and when when you realize the patience and the persistence of that man you 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 have to go well what's motivating that why and then you go oh yeah because government is a racket and it's holding back humanity and it's the greatest source of injustice in the world today and if you give a damn about other people and making the world a better place by fighting injustice 
you got to look at government first. And when you look at government from the libertarian perspective of ethics, you go, oh, yeah, this is a racket. Taxation is theft. War is murder. Politicians are criminals. And we need to end this racket altogether. And, and Ron Paul is certainly, I think, uh, in the modern era, the biggest voice of that cause that, that we've seen. And so people can see already why uh, Adam was such an effective uh, voice for uh, the Ron Paul movement uh, early on there. Uh, he has several things. Currently is Adam versus the man, and he's written a, a wonderful, uh, concise and punchy book called Freedom. Very obvious uh, title. <laughs> and you you exactly get that. A very distilled version. Um, and uh, it's, it's well worth a read. Uh, I recommend it. Uh, you can also, I think I have it on Audible. That's where I listen yep. to it. Maybe I actually read it. It's been a while since I've literally read an entire book i always get like going <laughs> on it and i'm like all right this is good enough to get on audible <laughs> yeah, we, we made it just a hundred pages exactly for that purpose to me like, this is this is the challenge right you know those of us who are are libertarians because we've gone through some awakening process we we really want to take the rest of the world through that same process we want everybody mm -hmm. else to wake up and it's like, it, it's maddening sometimes, you know, how do we do it? How do you get people to pay attention? You know, how, how do you get people to take the time to consider it? And you know, I do a you know, YouTube channel as well, quarter million subs, 80 million something views. And I'm doing a live show right now, uh, Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. Pacific is Adam versus the man. And a website for that is adamversustheman.com. And, and I've got some videos on there where like I, I can convert someone to libertarianism in like two minutes. Hey, do you, do you believe that you own yourself? Okay. Do you believe in ethics? Okay. Can we apply those concepts to government? Okay. But it doesn't really do it. You know, like I can explain libertarianism in, in less than a minute. In fact, there's a video that I have a few hundred thousand views on called the message of freedom in one minute. And it, it's great that you can do that, but that doesn't really reach people at the deeper level necessary to convert them, to change their worldview. And that, I mean, the value of Ron Paul cannot be measured in votes or in dollars, but ultimately in converts and how many people he pulled out of the matrix of statism to say, no, there's, there's another way of looking at the world. And I've, taken that as you know my greatest accomplishment my my greatest goal is, is not views it's converts how many people do we really get to reconsider their worldview and that's why the book freedom just 100 pages free in every digital format possible and it's to me like if you if you you need to take that time you can't watch my one-minute video and go, okay, I guess I'm a libertarian now. I mean, you can. I won't object. But you, your worldview requires more thoughtfulness than that. And I think with, with a lot of help, we were able to get that down into 100, 100 pages of pure, unadulterated freedom. And uh, I think a lot of people in the movement were really uh, upset with me about that because they were like, God damn it, he figured out how to brand the word freedom? Now freedom is Adam's word because he wrote a book and came up with an awesome logo. Now freedom. All right. All right. 
but you know it's it's uh you know we got over a quarter million copies in print and it, it's been you know it's it's been an awesome journey uh and this is one of those things like with ron paul you know it's it's not the destination it's the journey and being on this path has just been I, I don't know how to describe it even just I, I can't well it's sort of like the, embracing the calling of a happy warrior and we're very fortunate to live in a day and age when well let's just say you know uh, just a few generations ago you can get your head cut off for saying the things that Ron Paul says and now right. we're able to have these conversations relatively openly and my producer still says i'm the most censored man on youtube um if you look at my views and monetization how many times i've been demonetized uh yeah it's a hard thing to quantify but there's a, you know there's a lot of people working to suppress this message and you know i think i think that's again back to what what you're doing with this podcast bring it's it's not nostalgia I mean, I guess that's part of it. I don't want to say there's, because I, I like being nostalgic for the Ron Paul days and organizing veterans for Ron Paul, because there was a, you know, a, a sense of purpose, a common sense of purpose there of we are going to use the Ron Paul presidential campaigns to get this message out, to wake up as many people as possible. And the movement just doesn't have that now. And it, it is kind of sad for those of us who experienced it, looking around the movement, and feeling just how divided we are over stupid, petty sh**. Yeah, I, it's it's worth taking some time to be nostalgic in order to learn from when we were better activists as a whole, perhaps. Yeah, well, that's a great jumping off point to kind of backtrack and, and really dig into your past, if you wouldn't mind, because um, a lot of your videos were influential on me mm. Uh, transitioning from neocon to Ron Paul supporter. Um, so, um, if I recall, you were uh, in the Marines, Iraq. You started the uh, Iraq. What are you involved in the Iraq War Veterans for Peace? Um, uh, Iraq Veterans Against the Iraq War. You know, it's funny. I, I apologize. Yeah, I, 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 yeah no, no, no. It's, it's okay. I, I often get falsely uh, credited with starting IVAW um, because I was probably the most prominent public figure. Uh, but it, I wasn't until that happened. And uh, I was in Fallujah in 2004. I was a Marine Reservist. I did six and a half years altogether with. Uh, as a reservist with three years of active duty time within that. And uh, altogether, uh, just, just uh, well, I did two activations, but only one was a, a deployment because the second one, when I was supposed to go back to Iraq, uh, I got in trouble for having brought a pistol back the first time. So uh, instead of going back, I spent a year as a sergeant who spoke Arabic with civil affairs and combat experience, mowing lawns and managing a barracks at Camp Pendleton. So when I finally got out, it's fair to say that I was disgruntled. <laughs> and I, I'd like to say, I mean, I, I, my, my undergraduate degree is in psychology. 
And so, you know, nature versus nurture from that individual psychological perspective is something that I'm very present to. And I don't want to give myself credit because a lot of times people look at me, you know, again, again, falsely accusing me of starting IVAW. Um, but like, you know, I get, I get a lot of credit for being special and I'm really not. I am a product of very special circumstances. Uh, you know, I'm a pretty fit, healthy, good looking, intelligent, you know, regular Jewish white dude born in upper middle class Bay Area, California. And subject to just enough propaganda to think that the Marine Corps had a net effect of peace upon the world and that that was somehow serving my country as opposed to serving bankers, politicians, and war profiteers. My parents weren't crazy activists who screwed up and snuck me into the Marines so that I could talk trash about it from an insider's perspective later. No, I, I joined because I wanted to have my life on the line for something I believed in. I really believed in that. And my parents were generally anti-authority, but not in any kind of politically conscientious way. Mm-hmm. So when I joined the Marines, I was 17 years old uh, when I enlisted, delayed entry program, went to boot camp. June 18, 2000, one of those dates you don't forget. And I was against the Iraq war before it happened. I actually went to the day of student walkouts when I was in school in Claremont, California, at Claremont McKenna College. And I wasn't against it in a principled way, like a libertarian way, or like a Christian just war theory way, as, as Ron Paul later got me clued into. You know, it's not a just war if it doesn't meet these criteria of, of Christian just war theory. Not that that's the definitive be-all, end-all, but you can certainly say that those uh, concepts provide some very helpful criteria. And then I volunteered to go. I was against the war. Just from a practical perspective, it was like, yeah, I don't think this is going to be worth it for America. Like, I don't, I don't think this is a good idea. And I wasn't really, I, I hate to use the term woke because it's so abused by the mm-hmm. left. But I, I think, I think they got that idea from us, <laughs> you know, like, because, <laughs> uh, Nobody, nobody talks about, oh, I woke up and became a liberal. It's like, no, I just got more woke as I became, oh, but there is a, no, I woke up and became a libertarian. Yeah, I, I totally changed my worldview and it got better and now I'm a libertarian. And I, I think that's, that's a really critical difference because I identified as a libertarian, but I didn't really know what it meant. Mm. I thought libertarian was socially liberal and fiscally conservative. And it's like, no, 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 no. We are socially libertarian, fiscally libertarian. And understanding that means that there's an ethical principle behind what you're advocating is extremely important. And if I had understood that, I never would have enlisted in the first place. And I certainly wouldn't have volunteered to fight in an illegal occupation 
So coming home, I joined Iraq Veterans Against the War. I, I was the only really outspoken libertarian in the organization. Not, and they, there were others. I don't say only outspoken libertarian. I sort of like the only prominent uh, libertarian. Felt like I was representing Ron Paul in the anti-war movement and ended up organizing veterans for Ron Paul and, and the March on the White House. And uh, I'm, I'm really honored that Ron Paul, uh, you know, allowed me to have that opportunity to, you know, make, to, to empower a lot of veterans to have their voices heard. And I, I think one of the most important aspects of Dr. Paul's message is the human element. And, you know, we can look at, you know, the, the empathy. And, and the caring when he says the priority is to end the military industrial complex then we'll worry about welfare yes they are both crimes but one causes people to get ripped off the other causes lots of people to die right. let's look at that one first and war being the health of the state as you know i don't think anybody in our movement would dispute that the anti-war element of the libertarian message is the most immediate and pressing and the, and the one that has the most potential in policy to positively impact lives immediately. Absolutely. Uh, and you were, gave quite a rousing speech at the um, uh, alternate convention. Yes, uh, in St. Paul, St. Paul, Paul Fest, yeah. in, in 2008, across from the Minneapolis RNC. Yeah, I really wish you could have made that. Uh, but, you know, I was in med school, so mm -hmm. it makes it a little bit tough. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just pop out and go to a, a thing. Well, see, that, you know, I, I, you know I don't, Howard, I don't mean to call you out on that one particular event, but it does kind of make me think about something that, that I, I would want to bring up to all of my fellow Ron Paul nostalgia tears. Is that a word? What's a, I just made that up. What's a word for someone who's really nostalgic? Yeah. Nostalgia tear. That, that sounds good. <laughs> sure. Nost why not? Nostalgia philic. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the, or the, the, the three Ron Paul nostalgia tears. Uh, but no, to those of us who, who really do appreciate what that era meant for the movement, part of it was the hope and I, I want to say first, on a, a long-term basis, that that hope has never escaped me, and that I still have absolute faith in the progress of humanity towards uh, a voluntary society, that we are getting more peaceful and harmonious and aware and enlightened every single day, and that is the natural course of human progress, and barring nuclear war or an asteroid or a virus not not like the uh the kung flu like a real one you know uh that, that actually kills people i uh, i by the way so f funny little sidebar here is that uh i was very proud of the fact with my current production that on february 1st of this year my birthday i did a podcast titled the coronavirus hoax <laughs> ron paul did a column by the same exact name a month later. Oh, yeah, because I uh, made an episode specifically on that episode yeah. 18, 19, 18, 19, so, 20, right around then talking about uh, that specific article. 
And uh, that, so, that article yeah, holds it was a good up. One. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, so I, I want to bring it back to the point of that event in in St. Paul. I can't ever fault any individual for not, you know, for saying, "Hey, I, I have a real life outside of politics." You know, I got to take care of stuff. But at some level, we all know that if you don't look up from the plow every now and then, some tyrant is going to be pulling the crops out of your store and taking advantage of you. It's okay. You don't do politics. The way I would say it is, if you don't do politics, that's okay. Politics will keep doing you. <laughs> and when we had one of one of the things that we had in the Ron Paul days was that immediate sense of hope. Not just a long-term intellectual abstract sense of hope, but a real direct immediate sense that going out and waving signs and making podcasts and political organizing and activism around the Ron Paul campaigns was going to yield a positive outcome for us and, and for humanity and for posterity. And people used to make that when you had all of those things, it was a priority. And people would, what do you mean? Go to school, go to school. Shit. If we don't pull this off, School's going to get so much more communist indoctrination based that there's not going to be a point in going. I got to go and do something about this. You know, and, and, and that's, that's a big part of what's missing. And I think what it takes for people to prioritize freedom activism is that sense of hope and, and common purpose that we had during the Ron Paul days that we, we haven't really had since. Yeah, because there are, I completely agree, there are several things uh, that are quite optimistic, even though people, I think right now, are feeling quite a bit of uh, stress uh, because of things like the uh, pandemic. And I should mention, going back to, that's going to bother me if I don't correct it, if this is the only episode anybody ever listens to, uh, it, mm. the, it, it, we weren't <laughs> calling the coronavirus the virus itself a hoax. It's that, yeah, we uh, have to say that every time the, now. <laughs> the virus, uh, the impact of the virus, and uh, is is being used as a way for the government to increase their power and reach into your personal lives. And you see that time and time again that that this virus is being used as a uh, uh, as a little entry point to just uh, develop more and more government intrusion and power. So that was what the coronavirus hoax is. It's not, we're not saying that there is no such thing <laughs> as COVID. Um, but anyway, uh, back to the hope for the future. Um, and that, that is what this is, uh, what I'm trying to document with, that, with this, is that although Ron Paul's campaigns are done, he's out of politics. Yes, he is still putting out some excellent um, episodes on his Liberty Report, but his, his impact has reached out so many different ways of all these people doing all of these different things. Uh, and that's moving this Liberty movement forward. And although there may not be, you know, one centralizing figure that everybody loves, 
now there's dozens of people that uh, people love for their own reasons and everyone has their own little take on things but uh, the the movement is still very much alive and you're seeing more and more opportunities to point out to people that governments are failing um, they're they're not doing what they promised they're intruding uh, they're causing death and destruction around the world and the greatest you know if you're interested in the environment the greatest polluter is the US uh, government and military so all of these things I think through the internet and interconnectedness of the world now all of this is becoming more and more information that people can have to make wiser choices and there's so many more uh, avenues um, to have uh, freedom in an unfree world to pull from that uh, uh, book that uh, I'll edit this in later so I get it right. Reed? How to be free in an unfree, unfree world. world. By, uh, Leonard Reed. Anyway. I think so. Yeah, I'll edit it up later. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Well, that's a, I mean, as long as you mention it, that's a really important part of our movement is living by our values. Mm -hmm. And that was a, a major shift in awareness around the Ron Paul campaign for a lot of people. And it's, it seems like, you know, a lot of people have moved on from the politics or given up on it to just say, all right, well, I'm going to focus on my garden, you know, or my homestead, you know, and I'm, I live on 10 acres in, in the mountains in Northern Arizona. So, you know, I'm all about it. I don't mean to, you know, in any way demean that idea. But I, I really do think we have been misled. Uh, and and I, I do want to point out, as long as we're having this conversation about, you know, these deeper dynamics of the movement, and, you know, I've, I've always appreciated the spiritual and, and psychological element of what we're doing. It's worth pointing out that, COINTELPRO is a thing. Infiltrators are a thing. Uh, if you don't know, COINTELPRO, counterintelligence program, the FBI mm -hmm. program from the 60s and 70s to shut down the anti-war and Black Panther movements. I was, and this is hilarious. I was literally just, my, my mom's a, a bit older and, and we were literally just talking about this and, and she mentioned we were talking about the sixties and seventies and, and I, I, my point was, is that, you know, there's been a lot of, of, of strife in the United States. And yes, at this moment it feels intense, but you know, she lived through the sixties and seventies and, you know, she was at that point when there was also a lot of armed protesters and the black Panthers. And she said, Oh, they're so violent and scary. And I was like, eh. well, I mean, it was, eventually like manipulated by the FBI and in, into becoming much more confrontational. And it was like, and she was like, no, no, you better Google that. And I was like, Oh, all right, yeah. Go and tell <laughs> we <pro>. already did. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a very real thing. And I, I don't, and of course, I don't know if you want to dig down this rabbit hole, but you know, within the libertarian, the outgoing libertarian party structure, there certainly has been concerns that there are FBI moles in prominent positions. Yep. Um, and, you know, uh, to the point that 
you know, if people weren't FBI moles, would you have been able to tell the difference? <laughs> you know, either way, it's still serving the same point of dividing and conquering and sowing discord amongst uh, the people. But, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Well, I just, the reason I brought it up is to make people aware of the history of government suppressing movements such as ours and their techniques, which are not intended to kill people. They didn't intend, the, the purpose of COINTELPRO was not to assassinate a bunch of Black Panther leaders. That was the strategy. That was the effect. It was to render the movement ineffective. Right. So we have to guard against that and keep moving forward. And I think one of the most important ways we do that is not just keeping this in mind, but protecting ourselves by staying centered and staying focused. And, you know, COINTELPRO only doesn't exist today because a group of activists in the 70s broke into an FBI field office and stole the documents and then mimeographed them and sent them to Congress and the media. And even then, a lot of them didn't even run with it at first. You know, they, they, it was, it was, they, they didn't want to expose that. And it was because of their persistence that we know about it today. And so the FBI got called on the carpet in front of Congress. And they said, oh, oh, our bad. We'll never do that again. We promise. Yeah, right. Their techniques have only improved and gotten more subtle and more effective over the years. Well, that's where the FISA court came from. It's like, well, we'll have a FISA court that oversees this to make sure that we won't spy on American citizens and we'll, you know, we'll have some judges overlooking this. You know, the government will govern itself. And, you know, of course, now you just hear nothing about, uh, except about these uh, FISA court rubber stamping and, uh, yep. Uh, well, it's more, it's more than surveillance. Sur surveillance is, is almost the tip of the iceberg of the evil that they are using to subvert the American political will to keep this racket going. It's, it's so much more than that. And you're right. It's like the government coming out and saying, oh, well, we investigated ourselves and concluded that we did nothing wrong. You're welcome. Right. Go back to sleep. <laughs> and you see, uh, you know, on uh, other you know, it's a, a pan-dimensional uh, organization. I mean, they're not just looking at libertarians. We aren't saying that at all. I mean, you see these different uh, videos and about the uh, the riots and whatnot, where just bricks are randomly dropped off at places where there's going to be a riot. And you, you're just like, what's going on with that? Is that just, uh, you know, another one of these kind of COINTELPRO type of situations where they're trying to uh, discredit further unrest, yeah. you know, yeah. Causing unrest, which is then going to oftentimes gets people more and more interested in having a stronger and stronger government to keep them safe. You know, it's, it's all very, uh, very spooky stuff. And I guess that's why, you know, the CIA has the nickname of being called spooks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah, why why infiltrate a movement when you can when there are a bunch of angry people parading anyway? Put down a pile of bricks, make sure there's plenty of meth going around, and you're gonna get some violence. Shocking. Yeah. And now, I mean, you can see how just these 
recent uh, protests have completely lost focus, completely become fractured, and now it's just a protest for protesting sake. And that's what has me a bit concerned with the protests. I live up in Portland area. They're on 100 days now. And uh, it's the lack of focus. Now it's much more just kind of mob rule and mob violence, just kind of destruction for destruction's sake. Um, in kind of, I don't know, French Revolution type, you know, we're, we're going to upset the whole system and, yeah, uh, which would be okay if there was a real purpose to it, right. or it was at, if, if if the Black Lives Matter wasn't. I, I don't want to say it's it's Marxist at heart because there are people in the movement who are Marxist. Uh, certainly, the organization BLM is Marxist, but it's it's definitely a, a leftist movement, right. and it's uh, it's it's not. It's it's going and, and as a libertarian, we have overlapping interests. We want to put the police power in check. Right. Uh, you know, we want to make government accountable. But as a whole, what they're calling for is a society ruled by government more. Right. And they they have been so dangerously misled uh, that that I, I think as as a whole, the movement has become useful idiots for the Democrats. Yeah, and you know that's. Uh one of the big concerns is that this is just going to kind of roll out of control. I mean, everything does have uh, ways of kind of reverting back to normality to some extent. And, you know, there have been ups and downs and political upheavals that have resulted in nothing um, or have resulted in uh, some improvements, but there's also been significant upheavals that have resulted in just absolutely horrible things. And so the idea that uh, you want a revolution to then, uh, but in order to get your goals accomplished, you have to start forcing people to do things and forcing people to accept your rules and ideologies instead of having a revolution and leaving people alone to um, self-organize. It's, you know, I think that's some of the core takeaways of the French Revolution versus the American Revolution. French Revolution wanted to kind of change everything and have this wonderful uniformity and everyone kind of going along with the same system, whereas the American Revolution is just like, all right, well, we'll, uh, you know, just, we want to be left alone. Uh, Now, uh, the concern is, is that, you know, there's, there may be, an upheaval that could lead to more socialism, more government control, uh, more demanding of uniform thought. And that's can be concerning. Absolutely. But yeah, this whole idea of defund the police. I mean, uh, libertarians are OG on that. And we have multiple uh, books and research articles like, okay, this is how you do it. Um, But, did BLM come and say, okay, we want to defund the police. How do we, how do we go about this? Like, all right, well, you know, there's, there, there's lots of resources that if you actually want to do that, um, but, you know, defunding the police and then having another uh, militarized force that you just call it something different, you're not going to have a different outcome. It's a system 
that's the issue. You can switch up all sorts of characters within the system, and in 20 years, it's, it's going to be identical. So unless you're changing the goals of the organization uh, and uh, the funding of the organization and the purpose of the organization, it's just, you know, things always flow into what it's, uh, what the path of least resistance is. And I just had on the Afro-Libertarian last episode, and we were just talking about, you know, police and police interactions and police are rewarded for arresting people. So they're going to go to where it's easiest to arrest people. Well, that's poor neighborhoods and concentrated neighborhoods. Um, that happens to be a lot of African-Americans. And then uh, the ball just, just gets rolling and uh, the outcomes are going to basically be the same as long as you have those rules and laws in place of criminalizing, criminalizing uh, drug use uh, and uh, all these gun laws and um, truancy laws. Uh, so, uh, freedom, peel it all back, right? Well, uh, my proposal is localization. I, I think as libertarians, we, we all share the goal of a voluntary society that respects individual rights. And the way to achieve that, uh, and I think Buckminster Fuller's quote is particularly relevant, don't fight the old system, build the new. And a lot of libertarian activists seem to take that as an excuse to not participate in the bigger political conversation. I think that's wrong. I think that's really sad. But we have to keep in mind that this is a long-term fight. And right now, the, the old system is standing directly in the way of building the new. So I I think that we can kind of combine these concepts with localization, where we can bring people together around the idea of community autonomy, that you shouldn't be forced against your will to be part of a bigger collective if you don't want to be a part of it. And so that's why the sovereignty project here in Gardenia, I think, is so critically important. Uh, we said on Independence Day this year that next year on July 4th, we are going to be formally declaring our independence as the Garden of Freedom, uh, a propertarian constitutional monarchy. And this is the bottom-up version of the top-down solution that I offered with my presidential campaign and will be offering the Libertarian Party again in 24, which is political decentralization or localization, as I would call it. And that means taking governments apart from the top down until they get to the community level. And a community can be any size you want, but by definition, a community is voluntary, something that you choose to be a part of and you can choose to leave at any time. And I, one, of the, one, of the, one of the silly things that traps that we fall into as libertarians is the temptation of central planning. And I want to say there's there's a really dumb divide in in our movement for people that don't know between uh, anarchists and minarchists, people who say we should have no government, people who say we should have government limited to specific things. 
and they're both wrong. They are both dead wrong and unlibertarian, frankly. It's unlibertarian to say government should only do these things that, are, that, that I want it to do. I want it to do courts, military, and police. And it's like, well, why do you want to socialize those things? Why would you want those things handled by government? Why would you want government to have a monopoly on those most important features of society? That's crazy. But also, why would you say government should only do these things? Why would you, why would you tell somebody else in another country what their government should or shouldn't do as long as it's ethical. And, and this is the thing about, you know, libertarian socialism. Like, I, I'm all for it. You know, if, if, as a matter of personal preference for people who want to organize a community in, in a certain way, uh, you know, you have that right to say, I, you know, if it's voluntary, you, you know, you can have as much or as little government as you want. And so as, if you're being a minarchist, you're being a central planner still. And you're denying people the freedom to organize a voluntary society or community that might not look the way that you want yours to be. And that's fine. You got to respect that. And the same thing with anarchists to say, well, you can't have any government. And it becomes kind of a definitional thing uh, because, you know, I haven't heard a lot of principled minarchists. You know, you put them on the spot and say, well, what if I want voluntary socialism in my home or in my community and we don't force it on any, well, okay, well then you can have that. So you're not really a minarchist, you're a voluntarist. And I've never heard a, you know, a principled anarchist say, well, I wouldn't call it government, but you can have something and you can call it government, you know, as, as long as it's voluntary. I was like, well, then you're not really an anarchist, you're a voluntarist. You go, oh yeah, you guys have been fooled into this artificial divide and, and the, the temptation of central planning, and that is so unlibertarian. But this this basic awareness that I'm describing right now, I think, is becoming increasingly common in the libertarian movement, which is a, a really important mark of progress for us. And more and more people are going, yeah, we need we need solutions that are reflective of this understanding, and that's why localization is so important to me. And I really think it's the future. You know, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I thought that we were like fighting an inevitable rising tide of statism. Then it wouldn't make sense. Like, why? Why would you do it then? If, it, if it's if it's truly hopeless, then it, it it doesn't make any sense to do this. But this is the inevitable course of human progress: two steps forward, one step backward. But we get better over time. That 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 is how intelligent life works. So the idea of localization is also something that we see as the natural course of human progress. You see Brexit, the Catalonia independence movement, the Scottish independence vote. Uh, you know, you go around the world with things like that, but even in the United States, now we have Calexit, the idea mm -hmm. that California should separate and become its own country. And that might be on the ballot for California voters coming up pretty soon here. State, and of, state of Jefferson up here in Washington, Oregon, Eastern exactly, side. North, Northern California, Southern Oregon, state of Jefferson. Uh, there's of course, I don't know if you've heard of the great Republic of Texas, uh, you know, <laughs> but they, they, they also have their reasons to be independent. And more and more people around the, the world are saying, well, well why, we don't have to do things this way just because they've 
always been done this way. That doesn't make any sense. Liberland. So localization. Yeah, Liberland. Yeah, Lib uh, thank you. Yeah, Libra. Uh, so the, yeah, the Seasteading Institute, Free Seas. Yes. Um, yes. And so your um, uh, upcoming monarchy um, is this going to be kind of off the idea of you know you leave the Amish alone? Why can't other people have similar uh, cutouts for? their own organizations right yeah i mean people how can you tell an american you can't do what the founders of this country did that is an excellent point and so i i've been keeping you for about 45 minutes and uh, uh it has been just a real delight to have met you and chatted with you and um I want to direct everybody to um, Adam versus the man nine to 11. And that streams on Adam versus the man.com. Is that right? Yes, sir. That's excellent. And then YouTube page, uh, Adam Kokesh is, you can just Google that out uh, freedom book. And uh, I assume you take Bitcoin donations or do you use Patreon or. Absolutely. Well, our, we're, our primary focus is Patreon right now. Uh, but you can donate crypto as well. You can email me, Adam, at thefreedomline.com, thefreedomline.com. And our website for donations is thefreedom.fund. Thefreedom.fund. All right. That is excellent. Well, I will be excited to hear about how this goes on uh, next year when you declare your independence. Uh, hopefully it won't be another episode of you running south of the... Uh, or running, <laughs> running into the, the government and yet another stint in jail for your wonderful activism and putting your own body online for us. And we all appreciate that. If anybody wants to see Adam getting arrested, that would be on YouTube and several different, <laughs> several different YouTube uh, uh, videos of, of all that hard work he's been doing. Uh, well, Adam Kokesh, it, has been a delight and this is uh honor ron paul slash ep31 ep31 and check the show notes page for all those links